looking back at it now, during the Olympics, when you got there and you're walking around the village, and it's so cool to be there, but on the other hand, everybody that's there is, we're all the same. So then we're all just there together as equals, and then as soon as you get home and you're not in that environment anymore, you're suddenly idolized or put in a different spot than everybody else. So learning to deal with that has been really hard for me, but I'm also in a very lucky position in a small town, having my class, my school, I've grown up with those exact same people since I was a baby, so they all know me as Lydia, they don't know me as the gold medalist. Today's guest is Lydia Jacoby, a Tokyo Olympic gold medalist in the 100 meter breaststroke and silver medalist in the 4x100 medley relay. Lydia is a 17 year old swimmer from Seward, Alaska, and the future student athlete at the University of Texas. In this episode, we dive into Lydia's journey to the Olympics and her experience during her very first Olympics. She takes us through her childhood growing up in Alaska and how she overcame that difficult moment in her early teens when all of her friends started dropping out of swimming. Lydia gives us great advice, emphasizing the importance of taking time off, training and knowing yourself as an athlete, and she reminds us that we need to find our own confidence and our own type of training in order to perform at our best. Lydia tells us about her buildup to the Olympics during the COVID pandemic and how she dealt with the pressure of being one of the favorites in Tokyo at only 17 years old. She highlights the importance of mental health and sports psychology, giving us some tips on staying focused before big competitions like the Olympics. I love Lydia's story not just because she's an Alaskan, but because it shows us that even if you are from a small town, hard work and determination can get you to the pinnacle of your sport. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us, Lydia, and welcome to the Voice in Sport podcast. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I love it. It's so amazing to talk to another Alaskan. It's absolutely incredible what you have accomplished in this last Olympics. You went in there as a 17-year-old and you came out as an Olympic gold medalist in the 100-meter breaststroke and a silver medalist in the 4x100 medley relay. So quite an accomplishment from somebody who is coming back to Seward going into high school in your senior year. So congratulations um, on everything, Lydia. Thank you. In this episode, we're really going to go deep into your high school experience, how you stayed motivated throughout COVID leading up to the trials, and talk a little bit about now your senior year heading into the University of Texas in 2022. So let's start with how you grew up in a very small town in Alaska named Seward. How did you start? How old were you? How many people live in your town? And walk us through what it was like growing up in Seward, Alaska. So I was born in Anchorage and I've grown up here my whole life. I was homeschooled through middle school and growing up my family had a sailboat so we spent a lot of time on there. My parents put me on the swim team when I was around six so that I could be water safe and really comfortable in the water because that's definitely important living in my town and lots of kids do a similar thing just because we are a maritime community so there's lots of jobs and different things that we do around the water. A lot of my friends were in it and we all did it together. So yeah, it was great. And I think there's about 3000 people in my town, give or take. So my class in school is about 30 kids and we've all known each other since we were babies. Wow, that's amazing. I also was born in Anchorage, Alaska. So Anchorage knows how to bring out Olympians. You have Keegan Randall. Now you're up in the ranks with amazing people like herself and Holly Brooks. So congratulations. 
let's go back a little bit to your younger years. So you started out swimming just for survival and making sure you know how to swim in a city like Seward, Alaska. But what other sports did you play growing up? And how did you ultimately decide on swimming as your key sport? I played a lot of sports growing up. Since it is a small town, there's not necessarily as much to do as a lot of different places. So that's definitely a big thing. So we have a little league baseball that I did growing up, basketball, track, soccer. So yeah, I did a lot of sports, but ultimately I really stuck with swimming. When I was around 12, I started seeing a lot of success. I broke my first state record in the 100 meter breaststroke. And so from there, I kind of realized that that was my sport and I wanted to continue succeeding in it. And here I am. So at age 12, is that when you decided to quit all your other sports and just focus solely on swimming? Or did you keep doing basketball and baseball? I think I did basketball through seventh grade. Baseball, I stopped when I was pretty young. I did it in elementary school. And then soccer, I did all the way through middle school. And then track, actually, I didn't start until freshman year of high school. One of my coaches, Solomon D'Amico, he is a track coach as well. And so he really strongly suggested that I do that supplement my swimming would give me a little bit more impact sports for my joints and everything because swimming's great for you but it doesn't necessarily give you all of that sort of stuff so yeah I want to talk about that a little bit because you know you're 17 you'd now have a gold medal and you were playing other sports which I think is so important because so many kids get pressured to just pick one and stick with one what do you think something like track offered you in terms of becoming a great athlete what do you think the advantage was of doing multiple sports yeah I mean physically I think it was great because it gave me a um, variety of training and allowed me to train different aspects of training than I normally had and that most people do so it gave me a lot more variety and then mentally I think it's really easy to get too sucked into one sport and just really burn out so just keeping it fun is really important Absolutely. Let's talk about the burnout, because one of the reasons why we have this community at Voice in Sport is to help encourage everyone to stay in sport. And unfortunately, we know that there's a big drop off at age 14 and 15 for young female athletes dropping out of sport. So I want to talk about your experience. I mean, at age 12, you broke a state record. So you must have thought maybe I have a future here in sport and in swimming. But did you ever think about quitting? And did you see some of your friends drop out along the way? How did that affect you? Yeah, I definitely did. I'd say age 12 through age 14, most of my friends dropped out of swimming, pretty much all of them. So it was definitely really tough. And just, it was right around the time that I started really excelling in it, that everybody else started moving on to other things, like focusing on basketball. So it was really tough to stick with it. And I definitely went through a phase where I'd never like think about quitting a lot or just doing something else. So it was really important for me during that time to focus on the positives because I was getting faster. I had a lot of opportunities to travel out of state and meet new people from other teams. Men's Swim is Team Alaska rather than just Seward Tsunami Swim Club. So I would get to race on a team with other people that are usually my competition in state. So that was really fun. And I met so many people through that. It really pushed me to like keep practicing so that I could see them all at the next meet. Yeah, sometimes you have to get outside of your community a little bit and meet uh, meet other people in the sport uh, that might have similar goals, right? Because not everybody's going to have like that dream or motivation to go all the way to the top. For you, was that something that you wanted to be an Olympian when you were younger? Is that something you thought about? 
Yeah, I think a lot of people when they first start sports think like, oh, I want to be an Olympian. I think that's definitely a big dream. And it's interesting now having been there and actually experiencing it. It's so built up. And I think at least for me, and I imagine lots of other people have just thought about the Olympics so much. It's just interesting to have seen it as a reality when it's been so romanticized. It was always a dream of mine, but I didn't really think it would happen this soon until just a few months before trial. When you say it was romanticized, what do you mean by that? Did it seem not as big of a deal than it actually was when you were there? No, it definitely seemed like as big of a deal, but just so few people get to experience it. But so many people dream about it and hear about it. The way that we look at the Olympics is the same way that we imagine different settings of books that we read about. You hear about it um, online, you read about it, you hear about it from other Olympians, and you have this image built up in your head. It's just interesting to go and see how much of the image that you built was actually real and how much of it wasn't, you know? Oh, yeah. You think you dream about something for so long and then you're actually there in the moment and it can be pretty surreal. Let's talk about how you got there. What was it that kept you motivated through high school? Swimming can be a pretty tough sport. You're up early. You're training a lot of hours. What kept you motivated to stick with it and to continue to improve? Yeah, a lot of those friends that I'd met through Alaska swimming competitions and everything around the state have also been doing high school swimming with me. So again, I get to see them every weekend. And then during high school swimming season, as opposed to club, I have a bunch of my friends that used to swim do it as well. So it's a really fun environment. We do lots of little activities just that are fun. And we keep it really light and stuff rather than having it be a super intense time. So that's definitely super motivating. And yeah, as I've gotten older, even more and more opportunities come up. And I won my first junior national title when I was 15. And so I won double state championships in swimming my freshman year. So it's just that continued success and build up also really motivated me. Well, we just interviewed uh, and did a podcast with Jordan Childs, the Olympic gymnast who won silver medal at the Tokyo Olympics. And we talked about how critical it is to have a support system. Can you tell us a little bit about the support system that you've created for yourself that has been part of your success? Yeah, my support system's been huge. I've always had my parents, and they've been probably my biggest supporters and always make things happen for me. And then I've also had a great group of coaches that I've been working with for years. And again, they always really support me in whatever I decide to do and push me to reach my goals. And then living in such a small town, the whole community has been really behind me. Even before the Olympics, it was extra evident then, but it's been like that for my whole life. It's pretty cool. I think even from a small town, you don't have to be in these LA, New York cities to be number one in the world. And you're a great example of that. But at the same time, swimming is a sport where if you don't have a pool, it's hard to train. So <laughs> let's talk about just access for a little bit. Leading up to the Olympic trials, we were all going through COVID and it was really hard to access swimming pools and facilities to keep training. So how did you stay motivated during that? And what did you do to to make sure you were keeping up with your training. Yeah, so when COVID first hit the United States and we started going on lockdown in March of 2020, I was out of the pool for two months. Our pool was shut down in all pools in Alaska pretty much. I didn't swim for two months, but I did a lot of running and hiking and skiing. And I also lifted quite a bit. So I definitely stayed in shape and kept training just very differently than I had in the past. And then in 
May or so, pools in Anchorage started opening up. So I actually moved up to Anchorage for the summer with one of my friends from Homer. And we trained up there with a team. It was definitely really different, but I honestly think that that year gave me what I needed to be able to make my way onto the team with the Olympic trials being postponed from June of 2020 to June of 2021. It gave me an extra year to train, and that was really an advantage for the younger swimmers. And it's really evident on the team there were 11 teenagers this year, which is like six more than have ever been on the team before. But yeah, it gave us that extra year to train. And because I was up in Anchorage, I didn't know as many people. And so the swim team was who I hung out with the whole time. It was just a bigger part of my life than it had been before. It is pretty incredible to see just how many young Olympians there were this year. And I want to talk a little bit about that pressure. You're going in to the Olympic trials and you're seeing some of the people that you have looked up to your entire life right there with you in the trials. How did you deal with that pressure leading up to the trials? Because sometimes the trials can be even harder or more intense than the Olympics. Yeah, well, it's interesting. In April um, of 2021, a couple months before trials, I went to California for one of the professional swim series that they host over there. And I got second to Lily King, the world record holder. And the heat that I was swimming in was pretty much give or take a few women the heat that was swimming in finals of Olympic trials. And that was when I realized that I had the ability to do it and that I really wanted to do it again. There was a lot of publicity inside Alaska about that. So I started getting a lot of people coming up to me and asking me what it felt like to be an Olympian when I wasn't even Olympian yet, which like, I mean, it's cool, super supportive, but it was just tough. And I started putting a lot of pressure on myself because I felt like I needed to earn that title and it stressed me out that people were already giving it to me when I didn't have it. So yeah, there was a lot of pressure and actually about a month before trials, I started going to a um, mental performance coach, Holly Brooks. So yeah, that was very helpful for me. Yeah, that's got to be hard. I haven't even been there yet. Why are you giving me that title? I can imagine that puts extra stress on how you're feeling leading up to the Olympics. So let's talk a little bit about mental performance coaches, because that's one of the things we offer on the voice and sport platform. It's so important to train your mental side just as much as you're training your physical body leading up to amazing events like this. So what have you learned by working with Holly and starting to focus on your mental skills? Yeah, I'm not a type of person who likes to share a lot of my emotions with people. So it was really helpful for me just to be able to talk to someone that wasn't really connected with my day to day, just be able to talk to her about that. And she's also an Olympian. So that was really cool. She went through a lot of the same stuff that I've been going through and just talking through problems that I've been having or within sport or out of sport. So super helpful. Yeah, sometimes it's easier to talk to people who are not as close to you just offers a different perspective, which I think it can be really great. So what biggest thing that you feel like she helped you with on the mental performance side heading into the Olympics? I would say that I definitely struggled with what other people were thinking, like what I mentioned before, people saying I was an Olympian before I actually was, or after the Olympics. I don't know. I'm a pretty private person. So having all that attention has been really weird. And it's been hard to block what people say about me. So having her to guide me through staying focused on yourself and what you think in your inner circle rather than letting everybody else's opinions guide your athletic and um, non-athletic life. 
Yeah. What advice would she give you on something like that? Because I feel like that might be pretty common. Like you start performing well in any sport and people start talking people start, you know, giving you titles or putting you in boxes. And all of a sudden that starts messing with your mental game a little bit. So do you remember some of the advice she gave you that we could also pass on to these other girls that might be feeling the same way? Yeah, for sure. Like you said, once you get to a certain level, people all of a sudden are noticing you and they all want to have a little bit of what you have. It's just really important to remember what you came to do and remember who you are and what your goals are and not change those based on what other people are telling you. Remember who your inner circle is. Take advice from them. I'm not saying don't take advice from other people, but recognize that these people weren't in your life before and you don't necessarily have to let them direct your life once they decide they want. Wow, that's so important. Well, leading up into the Olympics, sounds like you did a really awesome thing. You sought help. You had a really strong support system. You started exploring the mental side of your performance and your mindset. Did you ever have a mantra or something that you carried into your practice, especially in that lead up to the Olympics, once you qualified and you knew you were going to go, what was that month or so for you in terms of your training, both mentally and physically before you got to Tokyo? Yeah, well, after I qualified, I came home for two days and then I flew out to train in Hawaii with the team and we were there for two and a half weeks about and then we flew to Japan and moved into the village and trained a little before we started competing so it was a big whirlwind and obviously a lot of change just being away from home being away from my family and friends who had always been there like I was talking about before just focusing on what you were doing before that got you there and the coaches at the Olympics USA Swimming put a lot of emphasis on keeping as much routine and schedule like we had at home before trials as we could into our training camp before the Olympics, just to keep some normalcy, both mentally and physically. And did you find the training to be harder when you moved from the work that you were doing in Seward and then in Anchorage during the pandemic over to training with everybody else who's going to the Olympics? Was there a switch in training? Did you learn anything, observe anything from the older athletes that you took away that helped improve your performance? Yeah, I wouldn't say it was necessarily harder, but our coaches had a lot of say in the sets that we did and our program from home, and they would give that advice to the coaches, the staff that was there, and they would give that to us. So a lot of it was very similar to what I had been doing, but just being in that environment in the pool, 50 or so other people who were just as dedicated and motivated and ready to perform as I was is just really motivating. It just pushes you to be your best every day. Absolutely. Were there any surprises when you did get to Hawaii and you're doing the training and you're like, okay, a couple weeks away from the Olympics, was there any surprises that you had or anything that you did that changed your routine that they had you focus on? Yeah, one thing that we did that was a little different. Typically, I wake up at 530 to go to morning practice at six. And then I have an afternoon practice at around two or three. But because the games in Japan, this is different than a normal meet, you normally have prelims in the morning and then finals in the evening. They had finals in the morning and prelims in the evening so that it would air in prime time in America. So we did a lot of practice to get used to that. We would have our morning practices were kind of 
a little bit in the middle of the morning so we wouldn't have to wake up as earlier but then we'd get our more intense harder practices during the time that finals would be and then in the evening we did a supplementary practice and we did it pretty late too we'd get back around nine or ten at night so it was definitely a lot different So what is the idea behind training two times a day like this? Do you ever get exhausted and how do you stick with it? I honestly don't know. It's very much a swimming thing. We train so much. I usually do two morning swims a week, five afternoon swims a week, and then two to three weightlifting sessions. And that's pretty average for a swimmer. A lot of people would do more than that. You just get used. You don't even realize that you're tired sometimes, like your body just feels constantly tired. Like I remember talking to my mom before trials when I was tapering, I was resting a lot and just being like, I don't remember my body feeling good, feeling so rested. I never really hurt, but it's never 100% rested and ready to go because you're always taxing it, pushing it to the max. So yeah, it's definitely interesting. Well, I think you just mentioned something so important. It's a tough sport. And you're doing twice a day practices a lot of the times. So it's so important to fuel your body with the right food and get the right amount of sleep. How have you sort of tackled those two areas of your training, the nutrition side as well as the sleep? Yeah, I don't currently work with a nutritionist, but I generally eat pretty healthy and just everything in moderation, you know, and just not being scared to eat. Like I know it's tough going to school sometimes and eating three times as much as your friends because you're just burning so many calories but just recognizing that that is what's going on and that it's okay to eat that much and that it's necessary is really important it's so important because the average person is not doing what you're doing with your body yeah so you gotta fuel it even more yeah for sure and then sleep i definitely could do better I try to get eight hours a night, but it doesn't always happen. But I do well with a lot of sleep. I'm not a big napper, so I try to get it all in at night. Me neither. Although napping is really good for you. I just can't get myself to do it. It just feels like a waste of time, even though it's not. (laughs) Even top CEOs at leading companies take power naps. So there's definitely something to learn from that. I just find it to be hard. So I always try to work really hard on getting enough sleep at nighttime because that's when your body's recovering and it's so important. So you said a little bit about tapering. You tapered your training leading up to the Olympics. What did that look like? Usually for my tapers, I bring down the yardage a lot, but I pick up speed and intensity. So I'll do shorter practices with a lot less yardage, but working more speed and doing more focus work. So it's just drilling those fine points to get you ready to race. Amazing. How do you balance it all? I mean, when you're in high school, you're now in your senior year, but how do you balance so much practice, making sure you do well in your schoolwork? You've been accepted to the University of Texas, so you must be doing it right. What advice would you give to girls that are having a hard time finding that balance with their swimming or sport and school. Yeah, it's definitely tough. And I will not lie, it's not always easy. But the biggest thing, honestly, I would say is just don't procrastinate. It just doesn't help anything. When you get schoolwork, get it done. When you get, um, when you have to do chores, get them done. And if you have stuff done, it just releases so much stress and you're able to get better sleep. You're able to focus on eating a lot better than you would have before. And when your mental and physical performance really go hand in hand, so just 
making sure that um you're mentally stable and happy and doing well will really reflect in your performance. Yeah, I think it's so important. So what do you do to make sure that you're in a healthy mental state? I like to make sure that I have all the things that I need to do and get them done. And I know it's really easy to get carried away with, oh, I'm on such a busy schedule. I have so much to do, sports, swimming, school, all of that. But just making sure that you're taking time to do things that you enjoy as well. I like to play music. I like to do art, photography, see my friends. So just making sure you take time to do that stuff so that you'll be better prepared to do the harder stuff. Yeah, that's such good advice, right? It sounds like even yourself, Olympic gold medalist, you are taking breaks and having fun with your friends, right? Yeah. (laughs) And I think that's another thing we were talking about earlier, such intense training schedules. I think there's big stigmas around that too, especially in swimming. I'm not really sure about other sports, but I know there are a lot that think you can't take more than a couple days off or the phrase like, I'm so out of shape after taking three days off is a really common one, even though it takes a couple months to start losing muscle. So I think that's a big stigma that doesn't necessarily apply to anything. It's all right to take a week off. It's all right to take two weeks off, but just making sure that you're dedicated and consistent while you're doing that. Thank you for listening to the Voice in Sport podcast. My name is Zasha Bulhak, and I'm a cross-country runner at the University of Houston, as well as the producer of this week's episode. If you enjoy hearing from Lydia Jacoby and would like to get the chance to talk to athletes like her, go to voiceinsport.com join to sign up for a free membership and gain access to exclusive episodes, mentorship sessions, and other weekly content. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at voice and sport. Now let's get back to the episode. Yeah, I think it's such important advice. I think when you're in it, sometimes it can be like, oh, if I take a day off, I'm going to get behind. Like, no, actually, you take a day off, you might actually jump five steps forward. Exactly. Or if you're absolutely exhausted, and it's better to take a day off and rest up and get more high quality training days in the rest of the week, than just keep grinding through and do all kind of mediocre Yeah, because you also might not know or recognize that maybe your body just needs a break versus completely quitting and leaving the sport. And I feel like sometimes athletes think it has to be all or nothing. And we just had a conversation with Gwen Jorgensen, Olympian in the triathlon, and she won a gold medal. And she was talking about the power of three-day break. And I wish I would have had that mindset when I was younger, this idea of the power of a three-day off, (laughs) what that can do for you mentally and physically. You're not going to lose all your muscle or get terrible with your stroke. You'll be fine. But it's hard when you're in the moment to realize that. And instead, I feel like people just quit because they get burned out. How did you avoid burnout? Yeah, like I mentioned before, making sure that it doesn't become all-consuming For me, it's really important to separate swimming from other aspects of my life. Just making sure it's like leaving work at work, making sure when you come home that you're just content and can do other things. And again, like I touched on before, is taking time to see your friends and do things that you enjoy so that you're like happy with your life and happy with what you're doing and not just so focused that you can't really think about anything else and just aren't happy. Yeah. Totally. Well, let's go to the moment of before the gold medal actually happened. Let's talk about the lineup because you're going into the Olympics, clearly a favorite, but you're getting in the pool right next to Lily King. 
who has essentially owned this space for a while. What was it like to get in the pool in the lineup right next to her? And what was going through your head the moment that you were heading to the pool, you're about to start the race? Bring us back to that moment. What were you thinking? Well, it was actually pretty crazy. In those three days of the race, we had prelims, semifinals, and then finals. In my prelims race, I was swimming Tatiana, the South African swimmer. She broke the Olympic record in the lane right next to me. And then in semifinals, Tatiana and I both beat Lily, and it was the first. Lily had never been beaten head-to-head since Rio in 2016. In semifinals, I had really psyched myself out and got myself really nervous, and I didn't really perform very well. So I tried really hard in that day leading up to it to just relax and have fun and just be in the moment and so when I stepped on those blocks I felt really ready to go and unlike trials it was really fun to be in the ready room with Lily and have her be my teammate um like getting ready to do it together you know so when you were on the blocks were you thinking I'm gonna win this or were you just have fun what was going through your head when you're on the blocks in that moment do you remember or was it just pure focus I knew that I was in a good spot to be a medalist, but I didn't honestly really think that I would be a gold medalist. I knew that if I was on the top of my game and the others weren't, that it could be possible. And I knew that even if they were, it could be, but I was really just focused. I really wanted a medal. So I went out there and I did it. And yeah, (laughs) I was just trying to stay in a happy place and not get too intense in the days leading up to it I think a lot of people really psych themselves out they just think about it so much that it becomes all-consuming and you just picture more and more things that could go wrong or more and more things that are stressful about it so I really like before that finals race I just pushed all of it out of my mind I didn't even think about my race until I was in the ready room like 20 minutes before so just like not overthinking is just so important for me I don't know. A lot of people, I know it helps them so much to visualize over and over and over. And I definitely do do some of that. But when it gets to that week leading up to it, I try to kind of stay away from that. Yeah. And relax a bit, which obviously it worked because you performed amazingly. And then you walked home with a gold medal to Alaska. What was it like coming back to your hometown with the gold medal? It was so cool. Like I mentioned before, the whole community has always been so supportive of me. Coming home with both medals, so cool. Pretty much every business and a lot of houses in town had Go Lydia signs on them and banners and pictures. So it was just amazing to see all the support and everybody was so excited. And they had a big parade for me when I got home. So yeah, it was pretty cool. That's so amazing. And I think so inspiring to girls around the world that are from small towns and maybe thinking, I'm not on this elite club or that elite club, I might not make it. Well, I think that you're a great inspiration for those girls, no matter where you're coming from, if you put the work in, you can make it, which is really cool. What would you like to whisper to a young girl in another small town somewhere? Like you said, anything is possible, and it doesn't matter where you're from or what access you have to different equipment or what knowledge you have with time and dedication you can really make anything happen and just finding that support system and that drive to train is really important yeah where did where do you think your drive comes from 
Did you always have it? I've always been a pretty competitive person. And ever since I was about 12, I was pretty dominant in the brushstroke within Alaska, at least. And so I'm very motivated to continue that. It's just, yeah, I'm competitive and I like to stay ahead. That's amazing. Well, what has it been like coming back? You're not like many other Olympians, but you are headed back into high school and basically back to normal. So has it been hard to come back to that new environment or that same environment with this huge accomplishment that you just had? Can you tell us a little bit about what you've been going through? It's definitely been hard looking back at it now during the Olympics when you got there and you're walking around the village. And it's so cool to be there. But on the other hand, everybody that's there is we're all the same. We're all pretty much the best at what we do. And we're all Olympians. So then we're all just there together as equals. And then as soon as you get home and you're not in that environment anymore, you're suddenly idolized or put in a um, different spot than everybody else. So learning to deal with that has been really hard for me. But I'm also in a very lucky position in a small town having like my class, my school, I've grown up with those exact same people since I was a baby. So they all know me as Lydia. They don't know me as a gold medalist. So having them be able to treat me like a normal person. It keeps you grounded. It sounds like you have such a great community there that it keeps you grounded. Is it hard to focus? You're going to the University of Texas. You want to continue to compete on this world stage. Is it hard to focus? Is it hard to do your schoolwork now? Or are you finding yourself still laser focused on what you need to accomplish? And Yeah, I'm pretty focused. I'm pretty task oriented. So if I get an assignment or anything, I do it. But I definitely have pretty severe senioritis at the moment. But I'm pretty much bringing it back to normal. Training's back to normal. So that's been nice to be consistent again. And with school, I am taking... Just a couple harder classes I'm done with most of my credits. And then I have a lot of fun classes like art and film photography. So just kind of having fun with it. And even in my harder classes, it's all my friends in class with me. That's amazing. What are you most excited about going to the University of Texas and getting into the collegiate sports world? I'm super excited about all of it. I'm excited to start um, both the school side and the swim team is great. I'm super excited to get down there. A couple of the people on the team were actually at the Olympics with me. So, yeah, I was just really excited. I already have a great support system going down there. Yeah, it'll be great. That's amazing. What do you think you're going to study? Right now, I want to study fashion apparel design and management. Something in the fashion industry, but I'm not really sure yet. I'm so excited for you. I'm so proud of you, Lydia. I think what you've done is just really inspiring. So thanks for sharing so much of your insights and your journey with the voice and sport community. We're excited that you're part of our community. What would be one piece of advice that you would like to give to young girls out there in sport today? The biggest thing that I'd like to say is that you should always remember what you earned and what you did. I think it's easy to get carried away thinking, oh, I'm just a girl or I'm just a teenager but just remember that you earned your spot going into the games I finished trials and I was on that Olympic high where I was like wow like I did this and then before camp I was like oh wow I'm going into a month and I'm going to be living with all these record holders and gold medalists and medalists and do I really deserve to be there am I good enough and just remembering um, that you earned that and that you did it
is probably the biggest piece of advice that I could give. I love it because it's got to be intimidating to be with some of those older athletes that have already accomplished many things that are on your plate to accomplish. But how do you deal with that sort of environment? How do you go into that and not feel intimidated? What advice would you give to other girls that might be about to be in your spot like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of people have kind of said to me like, oh, I don't know how you could do that being so like humble and stuff. And it's interesting to me when people say that because I think everybody competing on that level is um, confident, if not cocky to a certain degree. And you really have to be to be able to kind of hold your own like cell in that environment. So it's just a matter of whether you choose to project that on the rest of the world or just keep that quietly confident, you know. But yeah, just remembering that you earned your spot there just like everybody else. I love what you just said, because there's a difference of quiet confidence and in your face cocky. How has the way you approach confidence, how has that helped you succeed? Yeah, I think it's different for everyone. So I wouldn't necessarily say that I'd give this as a piece of advice. I know for Lily, she likes to be super outwardly confident. She likes everyone to know that she's confident and come in there with a big persona and know that everybody's a little bit intimidated by her. That's kind of her thing. That's what makes her feel good. For me, I like to just kind of keep that to myself and know that I have the power to do it and that I can do it, but not necessarily project that so that people have expectations for what I can do, if that makes sense. So I think there's a lot of ways to handle it, but you just have to figure out what helps you and what motivates you most. Yeah, I love that. And there's not one way. I think that's what's also really important, right? Just like leadership, actually. There can be leaders in the corporate world that are outspoken and loud, and they can be great leaders. And then there are quieter leaders that can be incredibly powerful and accomplish amazing things. And I think it's important to see that the spectrum can be really successful in life. Exactly. And there's not just one right way. They all work. It's just finding what works for you. That's right. I feel like that is the same thing when it comes to your training a little bit. And even though it seems like there is a formula in swimming of training twice a day <laughs> and really late practice, etc. But you do have to find out what's right for you. That good mix of how do you fuel your body enough, have confidence to stick with it, right? And then work on your performance, both physically and mentally. So now that you have gone through that path of coming up through the system in Alaska, which is incredible, to going to the Olympic stage and winning gold. Do you reflect on your journey now and say, oh, had I known X, Y, and Z when I was 13 or 14, maybe I would be in a different spot. For the girls that are coming up behind you, what advice would you tell them that you wish you would have known? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I'm not entirely sure honestly I don't know if I would say I would change anything but I think the more I grow through this sport the more I learn about it and just I um, was saying finding out what works for you I know there's the idea of always training twice a day is how it's done but just really personalizing everything that you do and finding what works both mentally and physically finding your type of confidence finding your type of training remembering to take breaks and recognizing that that's all okay. Yeah, I love that. To any girl that's listening out there right now and wants to be in your shoes, I think there's a lot of really important lessons that we talked about today, whether that's taking a break, 
or making sure you're having fun, finding a support system. I mean, these are all really, really important things to having a healthy journey in sport. I'd love to end with our last question around the sports industry. In general, we know that there's still a lot of progress to be made for women's sports. Swimming does seem like one of those sports where it's a little bit more equal, whether it's prize money or visibility, media, et cetera. But I am curious to know if you could change one thing for the future of women's sports, what would you like to see change? I think this applies to all aspects of sports, both men and women. But during the Olympics, you really see a lot of the pressure that comes with the sport. The more success you get, the more benefits you get, and a lot of things improve. But it's also tough to see all the pressure and how mentally taxing it is for some more than others, too. But I think also in America, it's interesting to look at we're very much a football basketball country so we see wins and loses but for sports like swimming or track or skiing it's not necessarily a win or a lose people tend to value gold medals a lot more than others even though I'm just as proud of my silver medal as I am of my gold just keeping it in perspective and recognizing that each sport is individual and each person that does it is an individual. Oh, that's so important. We talk a lot about finding your identity outside of sport or outside of your medals. And I think that's really important, right? You're more than an athlete. You're more than a medal. And that's really important to carry with you always. I bet now even more than ever with you having a gold medal, it's like you, that doesn't define you. It's a really amazing part of who you are, but it's not the whole Lydia. I'm excited to see what you go and do at University of Texas. We're really excited, Lydia, that you're part of the voice and sport community. So thank you for joining our community. And we're really proud of everything that you've accomplished. Excited to see what you do next. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'm excited to be a part of it, too. This week's episode was produced and edited by Viz creator Zoja Bohawk, a track and cross-country athlete from the University of Houston. Lydia, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us today. It is so inspiring to see the energy and talent that you bring to the sport of swimming. As athletes, we all sometimes struggle with finding confidence during big meets, hard training sessions, or even just daily life. But Lydia's story shows us how important it is to remember our own self-worth as athletes, what our goals are, and who in our lives that have helped us get to where we are. Whether you feel overwhelmed by university or schoolwork, whether you're in a very tough training block, or even if life is just feeling a bit busy at the moment, Lydia reminds us to take the time to do the things we love. At the end of the day, they will make us happier and better athletes. Thank you for sharing your story with us, Lydia. Congrats on the gold medal at this year's Olympics. We are so excited to see all the incredible things you will achieve in sport and beyond in the future. You can follow Lydia on Instagram at LydiaAliceE underscore. And please subscribe to the Voice and Sport podcast. Give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And send this episode to a friend that you think might enjoy the conversation. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Voice and Sport. And if you're interested in joining our community, sign up for free at voiceandsport.com. When you join Voice and Sport, you gain access to our exclusive content and podcasts, mentorship sessions from professional athletes, and access to the top experts in sports psychology and nutrition, starting as low as $18 a month. 
You might also want to check out other episodes featuring Viz athlete and Tokyo Olympics silver medalist Jordan Childs in episode 53. She talks about being you and being beautiful, and she is an incredible role model. See you next week on the Voice and Sport podcast.